Galatians chapter 6, verses 11 to 18. Galatians chapter 6, starting at verse 11. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to make a good impression outwardly are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised obey the law. Yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, even to the Israel of God. Finally, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. This is God's word. Now, I don't know what would be the proudest boast in your life, the, um, the career you enjoy, enjoyed, the family you're raising, raised. I'm not sure what the proudest boast would be. Most people can find something to boast in they get excited about. That's what the Guinness Book of Records is for, to give people bizarre things that they can boast about. So uh, last week, Darren Taylor entered the Guinness Book of Records for diving 36 foot into a children's paddling pool with uh, 12 inches of water in it. He said, I used the enhanced belly flop technique. (laughs) This one slightly appealed more to me. Uh, The Reverend Mervyn Roberts of Leamington Spa is in the Guinness Book of Records for the longest sermon ever preached without notes. 48 hours. It's a shame you've grown because I have locked the doors. And I've, no, 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 no. <laughs> but 48 hours, that's quite some going, isn't it? He wasn't allowed to repeat, for pause for more than 10 seconds, or talk nonsense. No one comment. The, um, it was his second attempt. Actually, previously, he'd had to withdraw for medical reasons. I don't understand. <laughs> now, everyone can find something to boast in, but um, this little passage we had read, Paul says you can boast in one or two things. You can boast in yourself or you can boast in the cross of Jesus Christ. That's it, really. There are lots of different ways of, that, of the former, of boasting in yourself, but you boast in one of two things. You boast in yourself, or you boast in the cross of Jesus Christ. That's essentially the choice. Now, uh, uh, church family, well, now we come to the end this morning then of um, actually six months looking at the book of Galatians. Hasn't it gone quickly? The, uh, it seemed, we've been in this book for quite some time, uh, over the, uh, since uh, September, really. And here is the end of this letter, Uh, a letter which uh, Paul wrote to um, Christians, churches in uh, the region of Galatia, modern-day Turkey, against uh, a a false idea, a false teaching which had entered into those churches. And the false idea was essentially this. To be a Christian, you put your faith in Jesus Christ, and then you you live uh, obediently to him, and then you're saved. Faith plus obedience equals salvation. It's kind of what the false idea. And this letter, these six chapters have been Paul saying over and over again, no, not faith plus obedience equals salvation, but faith in Jesus Christ, that is salvation. 
Now, look, it will issue in a certain lifestyle. You'll want to be like him. But let's leave that second. Faith in Jesus Christ and him alone, that's all you need. That is salvation. And he spent a little bit of time explaining that. Now, the false teachers then um, come in slightly different ways. Yes, that's how you become a Christian, faith plus obedience is salvation. But also that's how you grow as a Christian. You place your faith in Jesus Christ. And then if you want to be mature, if you want to be uh, advanced as a Christian, if you want to change, well, that'll happen as you, you live a certain life of obedience to a certain set of rules. And repeatedly, no. Maturity comes from the gospel. Maturity comes from faith in Jesus Christ, from understanding that more deeply and applying that into every area of your life. That will change you. Not subscription to any rules, ancient or modern. Now, you might think this is a fairly ancient debate, and um, you didn't even know where the region of Galatia was. Um, but it's not an ancient debate, because essentially that false teaching is incredibly modern. Because the majority of the country, I would imagine, believe something along those sort of lines. If there's a God, I kind of believe there is, I kind of have a faith, he'll accept me because of how I live, because of my obedience, because I'm a decent person, a moral person. On balance, overall, my life is good. And if there's a God, he'll save me. So the same mistake that Paul was writing about back then is precisely the same mistake I would imagine that most people up and down the country make today. So it's incredibly contemporary. And Paul has said over and again, that is not the Christian faith. That form of moralism, that goodianity, that subscription to a moral code, that's not the Christian faith. Faith in Jesus Christ alone, that will save you, that will transform you. That's what you need. Now, if you are joining us today, it's quite a good one to do, do so, um, because uh, it's a summary, really. Paul is giving a summary of his arguments, and that's the point of verse 11. Um, that's how he introduces this final section. Uh, verse 11, see what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Now, I know that sounds like a child talking to its parent. Look, Daddy, look at my, look at my clever letters. Aren't they big? And Yes, and what do they say, dear? They say, I love you, Daddy, do they? Okay, that's good. The, um, it reads a bit like that, but essentially he's saying, okay, I've... Um, I've spoken the rest, a, a scribe has written down everything I've said so far now. I, I, I'm going to write this in my own hand, and I really want you to get this. And I'm going to put it in big letters. Essentially, if he was typing it, he'd put control B, bold, okay, here's the bit. So he's written this so that your eye is drawn to it, if you had been reading uh, the original manuscript. He's like, can I summarize for you what I've been saying? That's the point in verse 11. And essentially it's this, it's very straightforward. There are two ways of living. You can either boast in yourself or you can boast in the cross. One is disaster, one is salvation, that, that's it. Okay. Boast in self, boast in cross, very simple. Let's take them in turn. First then, boasting in self, that's verses 12 and 13. Here Paul is describing these false teachers, verse 12. Those who want to make a good impression outwardly are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised obey the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your flesh. He's describing then a group of people who have a veneer of respectability about them, who in this very striking phrase, verse 12, they're just trying to make a good impression. It's all about their appearance. 
It's nothing real. It's about the impression they make to others. Now, we can relate to that because most of us care a great deal about appearances. You know, in job titles, um, you know, you no longer have traffic wardens. There are civic, enforce, civic enforcement officers. Everyone has sort of title inflation. I met a guy this week. I uh, worked in just around the corner on, on Barclay Square. He gave me his business card. It was, he was financial director. I said, oh, how big's the firm? He said, it's a small firm, about 20. How many are directors? About 20. You know, because, you know, everyone, everyone wants to give themselves those sort of titles. And I thought, oh, you know, that's, maybe I'm selling myself short. So no longer am I a vicar. I now, um, I'm now director of a, a boutique institution in Mayfair that specializes in life insurance. <laughs> and look at you, we have international clientele. Um, you know, because everyone can play that sort of game, just about keeping, you know, keeping up appearances. And um, that's what they're doing, says Paul. They want to make a good impression outwardly. And they're driven by two things. They fear the rejection of men, and they love the praise of men. So verse uh, 12, the only reason they do this compel you to be circumcised. Now, circumcision is a bit of an issue uh, going on here. It's one of a number of laws that these false teachers were insisting you had to keep. It was, in one sense, the most obvious of them. But uh, that's what they're doing. They, they're trying to compel you to be circumcised. Why are they doing that? The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. They, they don't want the rejection of men. And then verse 13, they can't even do these laws, keep these laws themselves. Not even those who are circumcised obey the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your flesh. They want the praise of men. This is very striking. Here's a group of people who are teaching something. It's not true. They can't keep it themselves. But they don't want to teach the truth about the cross because they fear the rejection of men and they love the praise of men. Now what, what's going on? We try and um, bring it up to date a little, or just try and state it boldly. If you understand the cross of Jesus Christ, you either love it or you hate it. If you understand what took place upon the cross of Christ when he died, you either love that or you hate it. There is no real indifference. Uh, as I was mentioned, this week we had um, some invitation dinners here at church and um, a couple of conversations that came up after them. Now, in those, uh, I was and others trying to explain the, the kernel of the Christian faith, the essence that, I guess, simply put, um, no human being lives a moral enough life for God. All of us are quite happy to live in God's world, but push him to the margins. And actually for that, we, we deserve his anger. He is a good God who has given us many good things and we just push him out we don't deserve to be rescued by him actually we're depraved morally even our best actions are corrupted are selfish are proud but jesus christ died on the cross to swap places with us we receive his perfection he takes our punishment if we trust in him now you know, i'll explain this uh, uh, in the middle of the week and the sort of conversations let me relate two of them one an indignant man, how dare you say to me that God will not accept me? You don't understand, you don't know me. How dare you suggest that God will not accept me? Well, um, I'm putting myself on a level with you. 
because I'm saying he wouldn't accept me either on the basis of how I live my life. I, I'm not good enough for God in, in the same way as you. Well, well, what point is there in being a good person? Why should I be a good husband rather than a wife beater? Well, of course it's better to be a good husband. Of course it is. But that doesn't earn you a place in God's heaven. Well, in that case, I'd rather be a Muslim than a Christian. I know if I'm a Muslim, at least my good deeds count for something. I can earn my way there. It seems to me that being a Christian, they count for nothing. He's starting to get it. He's starting to get it. See, because if you start to understand the cross, the balloon of pride just gets punctured. and It is a bit deflating when you first realize that. Or another conversation, someone said, so you're saying to me that Jesus Christ is the only way to get to heaven and that all the other religions are wrong? I would find it far easier to become a Christian if you just said it was one amongst a number of religions and they're all equally valid. Well, the problem with that is that they do contradict one another. Islam does contradict Christianity, does contradict Sikhism. It's impossible for them all to be true. And actually... Christianity says you can never be good enough for God, and every other worldview or religion says, yes, you can. You can be good enough. If you, if you perform these laws, if you keep these rules, if you go for this meditative practice, you'll be good enough. You can make it. You can do it. You can do it. And Christianity says, no, you can't. Well, I hate that. That's very narrow. It's very narrow you're saying there's only one way that you can be put right with God. He's starting to understand. He's starting to understand the cross. There's a sense in which it is quite a narrow way. I mean, it's broad in the sense anyone can put their faith in Jesus Christ. It's not just for polite, middle-class people from a certain background who have been taught certain Bible stories. It's much wider than that. It's for anyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ, but only if they put their faith in Jesus Christ. Do you start to see? When you understand the Bible's diagnosis... You either say, I don't like that because I can't achieve my way into God's heaven. Or you say, wow, I don't deserve it. But God came down and died in Jesus Christ for me? Wow. Wow, that's extraordinary. You either love the cross or you hate it. There's no indifference. So do you see then, verse 12, when these false teachers are explaining faith, Plus obedience, that'll save you, that'll save you. That's popular. People like that. That's why they're giving that sort of message. No one will persecute them for that. People today will enjoy that. Have a little bit of God, a little bit of spirit. Call yourself a spiritual person. Are you a Christian? No, I'm a spiritual person, though. Have a little bit of spirituality. Think if I live a decent moral life, I'll be saved. Everyone will love you for that sort of message. That'll be really popular. It's very non-threatening. And that's what the false teachers were doing. They didn't want persecution for the cross of Christ. The message they were teaching, oh, enormously acceptable to Jews of the first century, acceptable to the Romans of the first century, that sort of message. Not, not Christianity. Not the gospel. Now, look halfway, what do you think of the cross? If instinctively you think, well, I'm not sure I like that. I'm not sure I like it that I can't perform, I can't earn, I can't achieve my way before God. If you don't like that, 
Why you boast in yourself, says Paul. You're, you're too concerned with your own achievements. And if you're here as a Christian, let me uh, put it slightly differently, if you're here as a Christian and rarely speak of the cross, I take it that's because we are man-pleasers. We fear the rejection of men and we love the praise of men. And therefore, we don't want to tell anyone what we really think is true. A few years ago, uh, one of our friends, I'll change his name, uh, one of our friends, we call him Dave, uh, Dave had a new girlfriend, and it was a bit odd, really, because no one met her. No one uh, one met uh, uh, Olivia, Um, and he'd been going out with her for a while, and after a while we started to tease him about his pretend girlfriend, because really, no one ever met her. Oh yes, off with your pretend girlfriend again, are you, Dave? And eventually this got a bit ridiculous, so he did um, introduce her. And he was a bit nervous and shy, and uh, I think it was a restaurant one night. And um, the reason being, he was a little shy, a little coy, a little nervous. She was 10 years younger than him. Uh, she'd never been to university. Uh, she was uh, an Eastern girl uh, who's told things pretty bluntly, and he viewed himself as a slightly intellectual um, character. And so he was just a little bit embarrassed. She was terrific. She was terrific. Um, Terrific for him, great company, huge fun. But I remember during the course of the evening, he said, um, yeah, I mean, of course, it won't last very long, really. I mean, she's not really my type. Um, why? Why do you say that? Well, you know, she's just a bit different, isn't she? I said, okay, so the reason we haven't met her for so long is you're just ashamed. You're so concerned that we'd think less of you because of her? How do you think she feels about that? It's pretty low. And yet for us Christians, sometimes we can act that sort of way. You're a Christian, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Where do you go to church? (laughs) Um, What does it mean for you to be a Christian? (laughs) You know, can I meet some of your friends? (laughs) What what, what? What is that? How does Jesus Christ feel about that? If you're a Christian. And I think that would be because we're too concerned about self, about boasting self, self-appearance. So there's one side of the equation, or one way of living, boasting in self, boasting in self. Paul says, don't do that. Don't be like the false teachers, but rather, boast in the cross. Secondly, boast in the cross, verses 14 to 16. So Paul puts it this way, verse 14, may I never boast in the cross. That's very tepid, by the way. Um, it's, I, I will never do this. I mean, it's very evocative, a very unusual language you use in the Greek, very strong. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not boasting in anything else but that. I will never do it. Now, understand him rightly. If you, if you look at the life of Paul, you read his letters, he, under, he, um, he enjoyed lots of things. He enjoyed his food, he enjoyed wine, he enjoyed his friendships, uh, he enjoyed learning, travel, you might possibly say. He enjoyed lots of things. Oh, I enjoy lots of things in this life. I boast about one thing. I boast about one thing. Now, the thing we boast about, of course, is the thing we care most about. The thing that sort of we, we daydream about, we get excited about. That uh, when we lie, lie, lie in our beds at night and, and drift off to sleep, we think, oh, yes, my moment of glory. Um, it may be real. It may be imaginary. Um, it may be a triumph you've had in the past. It may be one you envisage having, having in the future. You know? But we boast about those sort of things. Paul says, I boast, in, I boast in Jesus Christ. I boast in his cross. I don't boast in my job. I don't boast in my academic learning. I don't boast in my family. I boast in the cross. 
I was a Roman citizen, he could say, with all the privileges that that brought in the society of the time. I was a respected academic. I was on a high trajectory in the, uh, in the Jewish world. I couldn't care less. I boast about one thing. My failure and Jesus' triumph. That's all I boast about. Now, in the culture of the time, the cross, uh, or any cross, would be a four-letter word. I mean, literally, in Latin, crux. Um, but also, you just, it's just, you don't use this sort of language. It's just too brutal, the associations of someone dying. It's just, you wouldn't use it in polite company. So I'm uh, informed by the academics. If people would talk about crucifixion, they'd refer to, ah, oh, yes, he's going to the unlucky tree. So they talked about crosses, the unlucky tree in the first century, because you, you wouldn't use this sort of word. This is Paul writing this or boasting in this. It's like having dinner with the Queen and using a four-letter word. Ooh, sort of, ooh, just inappropriate, ouch, in posh company, polite company. He's saying, I boast in the cross. Because if you understand the cross, you either love it or hate it. And Paul was a man who loved it. He loved it. Because he knew that for him it meant an eternity with his God. And it meant for him here and now a transformed life. And so he said, I love the cross. There's nothing that comes anywhere near it to what it can achieve. He goes on, verse 14, I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is a strange expression. Through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. When I became a Christian, when I put my faith in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, everything changed. It wasn't like the day I joined the National Trust. I just thought, that's a really good idea. They're a lovely organization. I shall join them. And which, you know, which is super. And you, know, you can go and visit some nice things, but it doesn't really do a lot. It, just, it changed everything. It changed everything for me. How I related to the world and how the world related to me, it all changed. Because before I was a Christian, I lived for the praise of other people. I feared their rejection and I lived for their praise and that drove me. But that's changed now. Now I see how wonderful Jesus Christ is. The praise of men seems to me what's well, been crucified to me. I guess the praise of men is worthless now. The praise of men is like seeing a criminal hung on a tree with no consequence. I don't care about that anymore. I don't need that anymore. And I am crucified to the world. I used to have a great reputation as a leading Jewish authority, and now everyone who used to respect me hates me. I'm viewed as a worthless thing to the world. So the whole dynamic has changed, he said, when I became a Christian. It's all changed. The love of Jesus Christ, which he showed me upon the cross, has changed me. Oh, it's secured my destiny forever, but it's changed me even now, how I relate to the world and how the world relates to me. I've been transformed by it. That's what you need to change you, not laws. The, uh, the other night uh, at home, we watched The Blind Side. Have you seen The Blind Side? It's the one that Sandra Bullock got an Oscar for last year. Um, I think last year. It's mainly about the, it's the true story of uh, Michael Ower. Ower. I don't think I pronounce it correct, but Michael Ower. You meet him as a 17-year-old, and um, 
He's had a rough life. He's been in foster care for the whole of his life, taken away from his mother at a very young age. Has anyone seen this film? Am I just, okay, okay, one or two, good, nods, good. Um, But let me just, so I know how much to explain. uh, So taken away from his family at a very young age, uh, in foster care for all his life pretty much, but he keeps running away from these foster homes because he's deeply unhappy. And home for him really is the the rough public housing area of Memphis, Tennessee. And it's it's rough, and it's riddled with drugs and gangs. And that's where he's grown up, and that's slightly where we meet him. Uh, near the beginning of the film. His life is transformed when, uh, at school, he goes to a new school, and uh, this enormous, I mean, he's six foot 11 or something, just mass, um, physically enormous, 20 stone odd of, of he's a massive uh, black bloke brought up in this ghetto. He, he, he's befriended by this small little 12-year-old white posh kid, uh, SJ, who takes a bit of a shine to him. And... Um, and so the SJ's mother starts, oh, who's this kid? And um, starts to realize he's homeless. He just sleeps rough on the streets. So she brings him into the house and stays there one night. And then it's Thanksgiving the next day. Do you want to stay for Thanksgiving? Yeah, I guess. So he stays. And actually he's brought into this family's life, the Tui family. Sandra Bullock is the mother. Brought into this family's life. They, um, they become his legal guardians. It's actually their, their family to him, and they transform him. So now he's in a decent school, he's got some decent stability, he turns into a sensationally good uh, American football player, and all of a sudden all of the colleges want to sign him up on a free scholarship. He's not quite clever enough, so the family, they work really hard, buy him a tutor, boost his grades. So his life is transformed all of a sudden. He's gone from being in a, a drug-ridden, drug-ridden neighborhood, and he's off to a really... Excellent university, everything paid for. There comes a moment where he just has a real crisis in the film and, uh, and in real life, apparently. He says, actually, who am I? Who do I belong to? And so he goes back to the old neighborhood, and he's welcomed by all his old friends. And, of course, they're all stoned, and they're polishing their guns. And at first, you know, he's welcomed by them, but then they... I started to tease him a little bit. Who's your new white family? What are you doing? What's going on there? And he realizes, hold on a minute, I don't belong here anymore. I, I've changed. And this is no longer my world. And so they, they mock his family, and they mock him for being a part of this white family. He gets into a fight with them, and um, I mean, he's a pretty impressive bloke now, sort of destroys them, and, uh, and leaves. And... He is transformed. He's a man who is transformed by the love of a family. His life, his future, utterly changed by the love of this family. And so when he goes back to his old world, he says, no, I don't belong here anymore. I don't belong here. I'm a different person. I've got to warn you, the film's about an hour and 40 minutes long. Ten minutes in, my wife started crying, and that was it for the next 90 minutes. It was just, you know, so if you want a sort of cathartic cry, it's, it's really, it's really, because it's a true story as well, and now he's playing in the NFL and wildly successful. Uh, this, this guy whose life was completely transformed by the love of this family for him. And his old world was crucified to him. He didn't belong there anymore. And that is really Paul's point. His old world has no hold on him anymore. He doesn't live for the approval of men. He can live with the rejection of men because he has God's verdict upon his life. 
of, personally, Paul, you're a failure, but I have died for you and I love you. And that verdict upon him is utterly transforming. I don't need the rest of the world, he says. So look, if you've been here for the whole series, can I say for the last time, the cross of Jesus Christ, it is wonderfully a rescue for eternity. And for all eternity, we'll give thanks for that. But it is also, and Paul wants to stress this so much in this letter, it is also life-transforming power now. It changes you now. It is the way to be transformed now. If you understand this rightly. And so verse uh, 15, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything anymore. What counts is a new creation. Look, it doesn't matter anymore. If you want to follow Jewish laws and get circumcised, who cares? If you want to follow uh, Greek hedonism and just pursue a life of pleasure, that's neither here nor there. The only thing that counts is you trust in Jesus Christ. You put your faith in him and you are a new creation. You're different. You're changed. You're transformed. So verse 16, this is the only rule that counts now. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, even to the Israel of God. Look, there's one rule you need to keep in the whole of life. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. That's the only rule. Verse 17, it might not be easy. So he says, let, let no one cause me trouble. I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Oh, and you can read that in Paul's life in 2 Corinthians 11, another letter he wrote, where he's repeatedly whipped and stoned because of his Christian faith a number of times. Yes, he would have physically had marks on his back from that. So it's not easy always being a Christian. It's not straightforward living this way. Not always. But I tell you what, there's nothing worth boasting about in comparison. Nothing. I'm proud that I've been beaten because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. I'll stand up for my family. Michael Owen, quite happy to stand up and be beaten to defend his family because they've loved him and changed him. Paul, quite happy to be beaten because God, he knows that God has loved him upon the cross of Jesus Christ and that has changed him. So what will you boast in? What will you boast in? You can boast in yourself, you can boast in the cross. Yourself will not change you. You, you can be proud of your own achievements in life they won't save you before God. You can be in the Guinness Book of Records. I guess it kind of changes you. It probably makes you a little more proud or odd if you get in there for doing a belly flop. But it won't change your character. It won't change you if you struggle with pride and envy and lust and self-control. It won't change any of those things. The gospel will. The cross of Jesus Christ will. It'll change you. He'll change you. So boast. So my last thing to say, do notice, do notice here, he says, I boast in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Christian faith is not a dry academic intellectual thing. He doesn't say, things change and now I believe in the cross. Now I understand cognitively the cross. Now I trust in the cross. He says, I boast in it. I boast in it. When someone tells me, if you ask me, if you had a good day, not really, but I've got a great saviour. I've got a great saviour. Let me tell you about him. When someone says, what's the best thing you've done in your life? I say, oh, well, I don't know, I was brilliant academically, but I'll tell you what, stuff that. Let me tell you about Jesus Christ. I boast in him. He boasts. He says, I don't just 
understand the cross. I glory in it. I cherish it. I delight it in it. I boast in it. That's what I'm fixated with. That's what I dwell upon on my bed. That's what I think about as I'm wandering down the road. And as you get that truth into your soul, as you understand more of God's love for you, that'll secure your eternity. You do that the moment you put in Jesus Christ. Your eternity is secure. But the more you understand that, that will change you now. That'll help you make progress in the Christian life now. That'll push you on to maturity now. Keeping very... No, no, no. Trusting in the cross of Jesus Christ and boasting in it, delighting in it, cherishing it. That will transform us. And nothing else is worth boasting in. Not, right, not compared to that. Let me lead us in prayer. Our loving Heavenly Father, you know our hearts and how we love to uh, demonstrate to others how impressive we are. You know that even this morning uh, we've wandered into this building, wanted to make a good impression. If we're here for the first time, if, we're here, if we've been here for weeks and years, we want to make a good impression. We want people to be impressed with us, with our success, uh, with our careers, with our spiritual Christianity. We want people to be impressed with us. That's what we're naturally like. Would we put that to death this morning again? Would that desire just for the approval of our external appearances, would that be crucified to us? Would we think far, far less of it? Because we dwell upon the love you've shown us in Jesus Christ. That upon the cross, Jesus died a death that we deserve. He gave us perfection that we could not earn. That secures us a place in your heaven for eternity. And that demonstrates for us an extraordinary love that has taken us from far worse than just a rough housing estate riddled with drugs. It's taken us from a destiny in hell to a place in your heaven. Father, with the love you've shown us, transform us, we pray, so that we boast in the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen.